Eric, how are you? Hiya, I'm, I'm alright, thanks. How are you? I'm uh, pretty good. How are you doing? Hi, how are you? I'm doing alright. Good, good. today. Hello and welcome to this latest podcast on the US election. Today I talk once again to Democratic voter Amelia Morell and Greg Swenson from Republican Overseas. Last time we all spoke was in the summer. Today the election result is known and of course Joe Biden is to be the next president of the United States. We discussed what happened or changed in the last few months of the campaign, how they both interpret and feel about the results, and what's next for their two parties and their country. When I spoke to you last, um, I was looking back over the interview, and Joe Biden was something like five, ten points ahead in the polls. Um, yes. Did you start to get nervous as we approached election day, the polls narrowing as many people expected? Um, yes, I was getting nervous uh, about the weekend before election day, just having some flashbacks from 2016 and how the polls started to narrow as election day approached. But um, I was still pretty confident just because it wasn't the same race as it was in 2016. Joe Biden had higher likability than Hillary Clinton did. And in 2016, there were two very predominant third-party candidates that were running. And the other thing, too, is there was a lack of undecided voters this election as well. There was maybe like 2 to 3% of people that were actually truly undecided still going into election day. So that made me more confident than 2016, but I was still nervous as mm. the day was approaching. When we had that couple of weeks where we had the first debate, which I think everybody can agree was a bit of a disaster, especially for Trump, of course. <laughs> and then and then his uh, diagnosis with COVID. And how did that week play out amongst voters, really? I mean, did people see it as this really is a disastrous moment of the Trump presidency? Or was all that priced in and really those last few weeks didn't change much at all? Um, to me, I felt like it was a disaster for Trump. I really thought that his COVID diagnosis was going to hurt him more than it would, you know, make him seem better just because I knew that he wasn't going to say like, oh, you know, I faced COVID. I understand how bad it is. You know, we need to take this seriously. The debate performance definitely wasn't good for Trump. His COVID diagnosis didn't make him look good. And I tried to put myself in the position of an undecided voter. And I thought, you know, if I were picking the president, why would I want to pick somebody who has now succumbed to a disease that he keeps saying is no big deal, it's not a problem, it'll go away. And the fact that his debate performance was just disastrous and it made him seem like such a, just a bully, basically. Influence do you think the uh, race riots and also protests over the summer had? Because yeah. that was an issue yeah. that last time we spoke, you know, we talked, you talked about how you hoped perhaps the riots yeah. would bring moderates over to the Trump campaign, particularly suburban yeah. voters. Yeah. How, I, how did that, great question, Eric. in the end, I, by election day, there was so little focus on that because really... Protests subsided I mean, completely. Yeah, I think he would have won on that issue, but it just became a non-issue, which is funny because there was violence in Portland and Philly. But I think people just got used to it. Um, did you learn anything about America, about Democrats, Republican, about the electorate from election night? Did anything surprise you? I knew he had a lot of supporters, and I knew, obviously, that a lot of people were still going to support him. But I didn't think that it would be as close as it was in some states. I really thought it was going to be a complete wash in Wisconsin and Michigan. I thought that Biden was going to just completely 
destroy Trump in both of those states. And he did it. He beat him there, but it was still closer than I would have thought and what I would have liked to see. And I also thought that Biden could have taken Florida just with the amount of senior citizens that live down there. And since senior citizens have been so affected by the pandemic. So Mm. it was very surprising to me the amount of support that he ended up having. Yeah, it seemed really surprising from a British perspective that COVID didn't cause a lot of elderly voters to switch to the Democrats and to switch to Biden. That was something that, you know, in the weeks leading up to the campaign, uh, to the election, I certainly expected to happen. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Mm. As a Biden uh, supporter, was COVID the main issue for you or was it more of a wider issue or an, a, an anti-Trump ticket, if you like? Because a lot of the exit polls came out with some surprising results. So really, the economy was the priority for most voters. Race was then second and COVID was third or fourth down the list. Yeah, I mean, I think for me... Honestly, it was mine is kind of different. Mine is the issue of immigration, just because okay. the Trump presidency has just had such an anti-immigrant rhetoric and has just taken away so many uh, rights and everything for immigrants. It just made it so much harder for people to become citizens. And he's, you know, deported people, locked families in cages, separated children from their parents. And to me, just having a Democrat in office would protect these people that are in this country that are either undocumented or trying to become citizens. So that was really my main issue. But Now, look what happened in this election. And this is why I'm not that panicked about a Biden White House where I was, you know, two weeks ago. Hmm. The Republicans, the Republicans won the election of 2020 on every metric except for the president. Which you know you can you, know, you can look into. Well, you could say that's the most important. Uh... That. Yeah, I mean the, the the most obvious conclusion is people didn't like Trump, so they voted for Republicans, but not the president. And you know there's some merit to that, but um, but yeah, I mean this this was you know gosh, I mean I it, I I'm thrilled at what happened. We obviously so had I, wins at the Senate level, outperformed yeah. expectations there. So are you saying that Absolutely. the election was? with evidence from the Senate races, a victory for Republicans? Or did that prove that the Trump message really did work? You know, what, what yeah, is the lesson it, from the it's election? Both. It's both. Um, the, the people voted because they liked the president's deliveries. You know, again, not the 70 million people that didn't vote for him, but the 71 million people mm. that did. Um, they they liked the outcomes. They and, and a lot of those voters maybe didn't like the president, but they voted because... His policies and his outcomes were fantastic. And then the rest of the tickets won. And it wasn't just the Senate. It, okay, so they completely outperformed the polls in the Senate. You know, they, they were supposed to lose the Senate and, yeah. you know, and they, they, they crushed it. I mean, and they didn't just win close. They won comfortably. Susan Collins won comfortably. Lindsey Graham won comfortably. Um, the only close one was North Carolina, which, you know, the Republican did win. But in but they picked up 11 or 12 seats in the house so the the democrat majority went from 35 to to 13 or 15. so that's basically you know i mean it's almost like really setting up well for the republicans in the midterms but so you had the they they held the senate they not one republican running for the election lost in the house and as i said they picked up 11 or 12 seats they won 
several state legislatures. So, so if that was down have... to the outcome of Trump's policies rather than his character uh, yeah, and his performance definitely. as a personality, what do, yeah. does that mean that his brand of uh, conservatism or republicanism should be what the Republican Party tries to carry on from yes. this election. Yeah, is def- that the lesson definitely. to take from election night? Yeah, I mean that is a fear. What my my concern is that you know, in, come four years from now, the Republicans end up nominating another you know Trump like candidate, whether it be one of his children or another extreme you know right wing Republican that they nominate, and that could end up winning again because. Mm. I mean, Trump may go away, you know, after Inauguration Day, but his base is still going to be there and they're still going to continue to support the policies that he supported. So, I mean, I can see another candidate coming into the picture when, you know, 2024 rolls around that's similar to Trump and could end up winning again. Um, My other thought, though, is that a lot of these people that are in his base just like fully support Trump and just him as a person. So I don't know if there's another candidate that can embody that like aggression that he has and if his base would end up supporting another candidate like him. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, there, there's a lot of you know talk about it now. Like, how do you bring the party together? But wait, the party isn't really divided. You know, mm-hmm. the, okay, there's a, there's a 10% fringe of Lincoln Project people and, you know, the, the inner, the, the establishment Washington crowd, you know, like that worked for Bush. And, you know, you saw George W. Bush, you know, make a speech the other night. You know, yeah. look, there's definitely some old old school establishment Republicans that are going to try to make some reclaim of the party and try to bring it back to the, the good old days. It, it is a, it will be a complete failure. And partly because the president really governed as a traditional conservative. You know, you might not like his his drama. And his, you know, the the tweets and all that crap. But, you know, he he actually governed quite conservatively. So, if anything, not only did he unite the party with his policies, but he also expanded the tent. You know, like he he. I mean, as you as you might have read, he he. The only demographic that he lost in versus 2016 was white males. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because. Yeah. Why, why do you think that was? So, Because in 2016, yeah. they were credited with being one of the main groups behind his victory. Yeah. So why, on yeah. the one hand, do you think, say, like the Latino vote, for instance, really yeah. swung to the Republicans hugely yeah. in Texas and yeah. Florida in particular, yeah. and white males in the upper Midwest, Wisconsin, etc., didn't? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure why the white males went down. Mm. Um you know, it's just, and it's probably the same reason that, you know, he lost so-called suburban women. You know, I think there's people that just, you know, got Trump fatigue and, and grew tired of it, percentage-wise. I mean, he's still got 7 million more votes yeah. this time. But but I think, you know, he's expanded the tent. He, and by the reason he was able to do that is because people care about outcomes and policies that affect them. And he reached out to minorities and he, his outcomes benefited minorities and contrary to what the left you know and the media will say you know minorities don't have to think they don't have to be like in group think just because you're black doesn't mean you have to vote for a democrat in fact it's kind of an insult to assume that and and biden made that mistake a few times but you know the the people that that voted for him especially hispanics you know they're they're family oriented they don't really buy into this woke 
culture of, you know, tearing statues down and, and, you know, cancel culture. They're very traditional. They're more, much more likely to have their own business. So they're entrepreneurial. So they're, they're very much, you know, they were huge fans of, of Trump's outcomes. Wages went up uh, 5.9, no, 6.9%. But for white people, it only went up five and a half percent. But for Blacks, 8%, Hispanics, 8%, Asian Americans, 10%. I mean, it's just crazy. And so I think that, you know, the minorities, you know, he reached out and he's also a big supporter of religious liberty. That helped because, you know, Hispanics are often Catholic or evangelical. Um, You know, traditional African-Americans are very, you know, very church going, church oriented. Mm. So there's like all these... On that Hispanic uh, vote, um, which obviously brought Trump to, uh, which brought Florida into Trump's camp, do you think that the Democrats are in danger of the identity politics issue? That actually this election wasn't split on the identity politics that some Democrat strategists thought and have hoped for for the last 10, 15 years? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that, you know, Democrats can't just rely that they're going to get the Hispanic vote just because that they're a minority and minorities typically lean towards Democrats because I think that their pollsters have to figure out a different way to wait for different types of Hispanics and how to poll for different Hispanic voters because they don't all think the same based on their backgrounds. I mean, some are second, third generation Americans who didn't experience the immigration process and are Republican because they're conservative, they may be Christian or Catholic, you know, they're anti-abortion, they're anti-gay marriage and everything, so they would lean more Republican. But then there are some Hispanics who may have just become citizens, they're from countries that aren't didn't have socialist tendencies, and they lean Democrat. So I think mm. they just have to change the way that they poll Hispanics and... The other thing, too, is Hispanic populations are growing vastly every year in the United States. And I think that pollsters also haven't accounted for how large of a population increase Hispanics have been. And so I think that the Democrats really need to fix their strategy in Florida and with Hispanic voters. They can't just say, you know, oh, well, you're Hispanic. We assume we're going to vote. You're going to vote for us. You know, I think they really need to target them and work on policies specifically that benefit them. The split, therefore, isn't on race or ethnicity, and it seems to be more geography. We've got huge urban areas voting for Biden and the Democrats, and Biden, like in Wisconsin, I think it was, he only flipped two counties. He just increased his vote in the urban areas that voted for Clinton in 2016. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that the polarisation is just so intense across the country, and I think that rural parts of the country will just are continuing to stay Republican and continuing to gain Republican support while blue areas, metropolitan city areas are going even more blue. You know, Mm. like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she was reelected by like 70% in her district, even though the Republican candidate, he was a moderate Republican, he put like 60 million or something. I'm not exactly sure of the number, but he put a lot of money into that race to try to unseat her. And she won by an even greater margin than she did in 2018. So I think that these progressive, very left areas of the country are just becoming 
further and further left, more and more progressive, while the rural areas of the country are pushing even further right and becoming more and more conservative. There were a couple of seats in 2018 in the midterm elections that had flipped and gone Democrat that went back to being Republican that were in kind of swing uh, swing districts that were like more rural or more Republican voters. And, you know, those Democrats ended up being unseated. And I just think that that also accounts for the division in the country and just how polarized everything right. is. So You're right. is that a worry? Because numerically, the urban areas in the future are going to be able to beat yeah. the rural Republican ones. Yeah, and I think what... what and uh, But I think the trend is your friend. You know, what, what Trump was able to do is reach out to minorities, and he's just got to do... The Republicans have to do more of it. Yeah. And, and the, inner, the inner cities especially, Eric, these are the people that have suffered under decades or generations of Democrat rewards. Mm. The economics was the first leg. And they're going to realize that Republican economics are better for minorities, period. But the other thing is education. And and the, the inner city schools are absolutely horrible. They're just an insult. And um, and so that's, that's going to change because, uh, no, I don't care, Trump's going to be really... I mean, the Republicans are very strong advocates of school choice. And the Democrats, as you know, are owned by the teachers unions. And so the more education becomes an issue, um, the more Republicans will win. Where where do you see America and the president at the minute? What what do you make of, you know, if you look at his Twitter today, still um, claiming that the election was rigged, going after Fox News? Is it slightly embarrassing yeah. uncomfortable as a republican yeah i mean I, it doesn't bother me because i i guess we're all used to it you know mm. that I, I i don't necessarily think the twitter statements and the unfiltered you know conversations i i don't i've never thought they were particularly helpful so i don't think this one's any different you know i think if you want i think proceeding with the legal proceedings are a good idea and if and if if anything it'll clear up you know some of the voter irregularities and um but i don't think the tweets are helpful yeah as i said i never really have so um, would would you prefer trump to come out and concede defeat officially yeah i mean at some point of course but i Mm. think that it's it's wise to just be patient British media has almost dismissed that as, you know, nonsensical. It's Trump playing games before he leaves in January. How How is it playing out in America? Is it similar or is there a serious fear that, you know, he might not leave come inauguration day? So, I mean, most media organisations have just dismissed it as, you know, he's, this, he doesn't have any evidence against voter fraud. There's no way that he's going to be able to win these lawsuits. But the problem is he's really disrupting Biden's transition. I don't know how long this is going to go on for with uh, Trump. I don't know if it's going to last until, you know, the Electoral College certifies the election in mid-December. I hope it doesn't last that long. I mean, that would really be put Biden on a time crunch before inauguration. I mean, are people that you speak to dismissing it out of hand, like most of the media as well? Or is, is this a topic of conversation where people are saying, has Trump got a point here? There is concern that like oh is there a possibility that he could end up staying in office and 
I mean, for me personally, I don't think that there's a possibility. I mean, it's quite incredible that we've got... this rhetoric and trying to riot up his base, but I have no idea. I mean, it's it's extraordinary that a president of the United States has refused to concede defeat. I mean, if it was happening in any other country, this would be called all kinds of things. Crackpot, you know. I know. (laughs) Do you think we've all become, I mean, immune to it? Because... I mean, obviously, COVID is dominating the headlines across most of the world, but this is a major moment in democracy, almost, the fact that the president of the US is refusing to admit defeat. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it is a major moment, and I think that it's something that, you know, is setting a precedent for the rest of, you know, our future mm. elections and our turn, like, what's to stop the next president from saying, like, you know what, I'm not going to concede, I'm going to sue until... I end up getting the results that I want. I think that it's extremely damaging democracy. I think that the media is doing a good job of saying like his his claims are baseless. He's trying to undermine democracy, but I mean it makes us look so bad on a world stage that we're supposed to be, you know, an example of democracy, yet our president isn't conceding in an election that, you know, was fair legitimate there's no reason for there to be any claims of voter fraud it's all baseless so it just makes us look really bad on the stage that's i'm like embarrassed but i do think it was very premature for the press to to call that um you know given that that you know they're still counting votes and you know i think real clear politics today just finally put pennsylvania in the in the biden column so but it was the same um, kind of yeah, practice okay. in 2016. You know, the networks called Pennsylvania for Trump back then uh, in the early yeah. hours. Exactly the yeah. same now. No, but he's I, obviously I, called I, it for I, Biden instead. It's a, it's a really good point, but I think the, the big difference this time is, well, two things. The, the most obvious is the, the massive increase in mail-in voting. Mm. And so that that just opens up so much more opportunity for fraud or irregularities and so you know the, the the voter the voter disenfranchisement potential just went up dramatically with that and then you know you also have to appreciate that that in 2016 you know the minute after he won in spite of the you know the the, the media called it for him because it, it you know they, they didn't have to worry about mail-in ballots and recounts but the you know the the minute he won, they started trying to, they meaning the, the left and the mainstream media, tried to overturn those results, you know, from the get-go with mm-hmm. the Russian collusion scandal and everything else. So, you know, you have to, I, it just some perspective is important because they've spent four years trying to undo that election and it, it it's going to leave a little scar tissue. And so the, the suspicions that the president has of the you know the the Democrats and the media colluding to to beat him is pretty legitimate. You know, you know, like you can't, you know, it's it's it's. I mean, it, it goes with the territory. You know, we're big boys. You know, politics can be dirty, mm. but I think it was particularly difficult in the last four years to to not notice the not just bias. Bias is one thing. Liberal bias in the media, we've always had that, but. But the outright collusion, you know, the, with the big it, tech media. Are you, know, you surprised that's just, then by yeah. Fox News? They declared Arizona earlier than the other networks. Yeah, uh, the yeah, other day was, they cut away from a White House statement. 
be, yeah, be surprised think, by them? Yeah, I, oh, definitely. I mean, because they've always been sort of the, the, the conservative outlet. You know, the, they've been the alternative media source. But but I think that they they have the same, you know, the same bias internally. I mean, you know, you'll notice like the Wall Street Journal, for example, um, you know, had an uprising from their their staff, their new staff over the summer against the editorial page and the mm-hmm. publisher quite, quite deliberately said, no, no, wait a minute. You know, the editorial page is, you know, been doing this for, for a hundred years, you know, you, you, they need editorial freedom. And so I think you're seeing the same kind of conflict at Fox, by the way, they're owned by the same, the same company. Yeah, and yeah. so, so I think, you know, the, the staffers at Fox are probably just as liberal maybe not quite, but you know, they're probably just as biased and hate Trump like everybody else, everybody else in the media and, and half the country. Um, but, but the, you know, I think Tucker Carlson is sticking to his guns and, and surely, you know, Sean Hannity and the opinion guys, but, but it doesn't surprise me that they've done that. And it turns out the guy who called it from the decision desk, um, you know, he, he is, you know, definitely a Democrat and, mm. you know, there's, there, you know, that we should have known that I didn't know it at the time, but it came out later, you know, look, it was a mistake, you know, that, that was premature, but I think that. But that, that call for Arizona yeah. now looks yeah. as though it's going to hold out. It looks mm. as though Biden will win there. Oh yeah. But barely though. Like it, it you know, mm. they, they should, they surely should have, you know, Trump had to win 58% of the remaining votes and he almost did i mean he, he won like 57 and a half you know and and at the same time north carolina you know on election day or the day after north carolina had still had votes to count but biden would have had to win 80 percent of those you know so i'm not sure that you know they were using consistent methodology and and you know again and they can call it if they want they're just journalists you know there's no there's no shame in making a mistake but I think caution is much better, especially given, you know, the mail-in percentages and the, and the possibilities of fraud, you know, let the, let the lawsuits work out. Um, you know, it's pretty clear that, you know, you'd, I'd rather be in Biden's shoes than Trump's right now. There's no doubt about that. But, um, it, but do I you think, think it's, it's anti-Trump bias or anti-Republican bias? Because if it's the latter, uh, that's going to be yeah. far more dangerous for your party going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's both. But but surely the hatred for Trump is much greater than than you know past president past re- Republican presidents. But but they surely didn't like George Bush or Ronald Reagan. You know, like mm. let's remember, you know, and they butchered Mitt Romney. They made they made it sound like Mitt Romney was a misogynist, you know, racist, you know, and um, you know that so so it's there. There's no doubt, but I think it was definitely worse for for President Trump. But um, in, in anyway, 2016, so, yeah. he of course had sections of the media. Uh, New York Times were certainly very much against him with the Washington Post, and yet he still won. So what was different this time? Yeah, would you say the difference was actually the voters saw four years of the Trump presidency and they could work it out themselves rather than it just yeah. being a media thing. And well, yeah, and it was really close too. Mm. You know, I mean, there's, it, it's not, I don't, but I, I can, what I can say is, look, they were, they didn't like him in 2016, obviously, 
but they spent four years colluding to do their best to wreck his presidency. And, and he still came out okay. His outcomes were fantastic. He almost won re-election. He got 7 million more votes this time. You know, I know turnout was up, of course. But, you know, he generated more excitement this time than he did in 16. And he won 70 or 71 million votes. So, you know, in spite of the fact that the media um, was just – unbelievably not biased is just not even stating it it's it's worse it's much worse than bias and back in 16 the funny thing was because he was so eccentric he actually got a lot of press yeah even though they were mm-hmm. critical of him it was actually good pr because he didn't have to spend money on advertising look people made up their minds i didn't think there was a lot of persuadables in yeah. this election but but what, what twitter and facebook did with the biden you know, the Biden family cartel news um, two or three weeks ago, you know, by censoring that. And I was, I was thinking it might backfire on them, but, but they censored it and the press colluded to ignore it completely with the exception of Fox. Now, you know, conservative press picked it up, you know, the, the, you know, the well, is that the way to get around this, that Republicans are going to have to start creating their own yeah, avenues for look, press how how do you get around this yeah, kind no, of they, monopoly they have, that you suggested exists no they, they have to because the, the censorship is completely unfair and, and biased let's now turn to the future um if you greg believe that the media landscape is going to be one of the republican party's major problems going forward amelia what about holding the democratic party together because in the summer you said that Biden wasn't a change candidate. During the campaign, did he become and adopt more radical positions? He had that policy paper with Sanders where there was certain policies shared and talked about. Or do you, are you worried now that he might actually become rolled back on some of those issues and perhaps alienate the left of the party now he's become president? Um, I mean, I think that he in some ways will be, you know, more radical well, not, I can't really even say radical because he's mm. not. Maybe more like left now that he's become elected. Um, but I think it's just going, it's really going to depend on what happens with the Senate, with the two runoff elections in Georgia. Because if Biden can't get a majority in the Senate, everything that he is going to have to do will have to be through executive orders for the most part. Because the Senate, major- the current Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, is just so anti-cooperation with Democrats and just not willing to work together. And I can't see him really changing once Biden is elected, except for maybe like the very middle of the road issues. So I think that Biden's really going to have, if we end up losing those two Senate seats, I think he's really going to have to mostly work with executive orders in order to get anything done. Um, But I can't see him focusing too much on like extreme you know, to the left issues. I don't think anything super major is going to get done with climate change. I mean, we're going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accords, but I don't think anything like the Green New Deal would be able to go through. To you then, is this four years of not being Trump, a bit of stability, try and regain position, and then in four years' time hope to adopt somebody, perhaps Kamala Harris or someone closer to the left wing of the Democratic Party? Yeah, that's what I would hope for. I think that there's just going to be so much undoing of what Trump has done. Mm. I mean, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, 
rejoining the World Health Organization, fixing the economy, trying to tackle the coronavirus. I think that there's just going to be so much work to kind of fix what Trump has broken over these next four years. And, and as well as, you know, try to get the country back on track after the pandemic. So I think that it's not, there probably is going to be more of a return to stability over the next four years rather than being, you know, radical and trying to come up with new left, you know, proposals and everything. What is your kind of overriding thought, emotion for the next four years and for the Biden presidency? Do you fear that that polarisation will grow or is it hope that as a more moderate candidate, you might be able to bring the two sides together? Yeah, I mean, I'm an optimist Mm. and I have hope. You know how I supported Bernie. I think that Biden did end up being the better candidate to run against Trump. I think that since he's more moderate, since he's older, since he's had a lot of experience working with Republicans in the Senate and as vice president, I do think that he was the best candidate to run against Trump. And, you know, I'm hopeful that he can kind of work across the aisle and bring people together and maybe end some of this polarization. Um, But, uh, I mean, I have no idea. Just finally, what do you think the uh, Trump legacy will be now, post-January? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a long one. Yeah. There's, because of the disruption and the sort of change, I think the the long-lasting legacy will be the change in the makeup of the party. It's become the party of the working class, you know, the blue collar um, working class and not just country club Republicans. So I think that's it. That's good because it's going to capture a much bigger audience and not just the, you know, upper class, let's, let's say. Um, so that's probably the, the biggest thing. But I think in the near term, it's just, it's just outcomes. I mean, his, his, um, you know, his, his tax reform deregulation, um, you know, and economic outcomes was fantastic. I mean, I don't care. I don't care about tax reform and deregulation if it doesn't do anything, but it actually worked, you know, it, it, it helped low wage earners. It was fantastic. And then I think you can't ignore the courts. You know, he got two, over 200 judges onto the federal bench. There's not a lot of openings left. I, I think that's going to be a long-term effect mm. having constitutionalist and textualist judges not just on the supreme court which is massive because he's got he got three appointees but you know even on the rest of the federal bench and that's going to be important to keep a check on activist judges and and uh the sort of un uncontrolled expansion of the state at the executive level in washington do you think then he's changed the republican party more than america or the other way around. No, I think a little bit of both. I mean, yeah. you know, the changes in the Republican Party really started in 2010 with the Tea Party. Mm. And and the real Democrat hatred of, of Republicans and hatred of the deplorables and hatred of... It didn't start with Trump. It started with W after the election in 2000 when they said he stole the election. And then the, when the Tea Party started in 2010... It was really a rejection of big government, you know, of Obama overreach, and you know, and they just said no, like we don't want to stop ta- stop taking my money and expanding government, and so I think that it was almost like Trump captured it, you know, he put a different 
he, he put a different flavor on it. That's for sure. I mean, he, with the disruptive flavor that, he, you know, he, you know, he, he's an acquired taste, but um, I think that those changes are, are, were already in the works. And I think the party is better for it. You know, he's, he's expanded the base. I mean, not just the, the traditional white collar guy with the pickup truck and the, and the gun in the back, but you know, Hispanics, women voted for me. The only, you know, I mean, look, you know, a, a Democrat hasn't won the majority of white people in America since Lyndon Johnson in 64. So, you know, that's not like there's any major, major demographic shifts. You know, the Democrats have been completely dependent on the minority vote since 1968. And now, you know, Trump was able to cut into that a little bit. So that's, you know, there's, there's going to be a bunch of legacies mm. that, that I think that, you know, we could point to as very positive things. Greg Svensson and Amelia Morrell, two of the eight guests which we've had on this podcast since the summer. But of course, the election has come to an end and so has this podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for listening. And thanks to all those who have agreed to give up their time to come on and talk to us. We've learned a lot and gained new perspectives on a myriad of things. Just before we go, though, I think something we can all take away from this election is that politics and life in general is never quite as good or as bad as you might expect. For Democrats, they did not win a landslide. At the same time, Trump didn't wreck democracy. As we enter 2021, the institutions that were built to protect the vote and functioning of elections seem to have won out, and Trump will leave the White House next month. In January, people were already talking about an election that would destroy America. That apocalypse never came. Instead, another one did. That was the pandemic. Yesterday, more people died in America than those who were killed in 9-11. 290,000 people have died from COVID-19 and the numbers continue to rise. If anything, 2020 has proven something which all of our guests have reflected. Politics matters, yes, but when you become consumed by exaggerated fears and polarised internal debates, you lose sight of what really counts. Not one person we have talked to has said Washington politics dictates all in America. Rather, it is only a part of a much larger system. Focus on the mechanisations of Washington DC, though, have over the years left the rest of that system weakened and defenceless. When a real threat came, America was not ready. And ultimately, the president, who certainly aggravated the problems at hand, was punished for that. Alex Tocqueville saw America as the future. What was being created there was truly unique. With no history or precedent to restrain its creation, America was able to embark on a political experiment. As its founders created a constitutional republic, America forged a new kind of society. This confidence in their own progress is a feeling that binds the country's history. Where there is darkness, the nature celebrates the future that it created thereafter. To Kill a Mockingbird, a text the world sees as a symbol of America's past and future, reinforces this confidence. Portraying the racism and injustice of Alabama, Harper Lee leaves readers with hope for the future. In the final passage, the stoicism of Atticus Finch is united with the childhood innocence of Scout, as they discuss the true kindness of Boo Radley. It is not racial prejudice that ends the novel, but Atticus's remark that most people are real nice Scout when you finally see them. America today does not have that confidence in its future. Its people feel vulnerable. As it questions its past, it accepts things perhaps are getting worse than before. Progress has stopped. The future no longer looks so bright. America does not feel or look young today. It has aged and with it the Western world. 
When Tocqueville visited America, he experienced a process of growth where transformative ideas and values paved the way for infrastructural strength and dominance. Today, democracy and authoritarianism gave the same solution to COVID-19, lockdown. If America continues to look inwards, it will be overtaken by China. America and the world cannot afford for the United States to have a crisis of self-confidence.